This morning, I'm going to be continuing a series of messages that we are doing on the issue, the topic of worship. We began this last week, and last week we talked a little bit about how it is that we come into worship and, and what that call to worship means as an invitation for us and the response that we give to that call through song and singing that we do together. And this morning, I want to take a look at one of those other habits or practices that we do as a part of our worship and what that means for us. In particular, we're going to look at a piece of worship that we call professing our faith together. It's something that we did this morning as part of our worship, and, and it's something that is a part of church worship services everywhere, and, and it takes different forms. There are some people in some church traditions to which that professing our faith together happens every single week as a part of their worship service. There are other church traditions where they never practice that piece of professing our faith together as a part of their worship. In our own church here, maybe you notice that we have a habit of, we do that about once a month. It's not something we include every single Sunday with every single service, but once a month so that 12 times a year at least, we have this habit of doing something that we call professing our faith together. If you're a part of a Christian Reformed church, maybe, maybe you've heard that term in other contexts as well. That there's a point because we've, we have the habit or the practice of baptizing infants that there's a point as people grow older where when they acknowledge and receive those promises of God that have come to them, that there's a moment in which individuals may profess their faith. And we have marked those when that happens in this church and in other churches around as well. That when people come to a point in their own journey of faith, their own growing in discipleship to know and acknowledge those promises of God that came in their baptism, that we allow a space for an individual profession of faith. But what I want to be talking about this morning is together, the profession of faith that we all make together as a part of our worship and that we did this morning. We did that today in a way that used the Apostles' Creed, and many churches do that, use the Apostles' Creed as their profession of faith. And perhaps if you grew up in a Christian Reformed church, maybe you grew up in a church where, you know what, you did that every single Sunday. Every Sunday as a part of your worship service, you recited the Apostles' Creed together. All this part of this thing that we call professing our faith. Well, this morning, I want us to look at that, and I want to look at three things in particular, all right? Three things about this piece of our worship that we call professing our faith. First thing that we're going to look at is we're going to ask, what is it? What does it mean that we profess our faith? What is that anyway? And then we're going to look at why we do that in church together, right? Why it's a part of our worship. And then thirdly, we'll look at what it is we take from that, when we leave this place, all right? So those three things we'll work through. What it means to profess our faith, why we do that here, and what we take from it from here, all right? To do that, I'm going to look at a passage that comes from the book of Acts. This is early on in the book of Acts, in chapter 4. So let me set up this story and how this goes. Early on in the church, so this was after Jesus was ascended back to heaven, 
The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost upon all of the apostles that they began to go out and preach the good news of Jesus. They were still in Jerusalem at that time. And Peter and John in particular, two of the apostles, had the habit of going to the temple in Jerusalem every day to pray and to worship and to preach about Jesus. On one of those days in particular, as Peter and John were walking into the temple, there was a man sitting by the gate of the temple who was begging because he was, he was paralytic. He could not walk, could not use his legs. Peter stops and has a conversation and interacts with him. And in the name of Jesus, this paralytic is healed and he gets up and he walks. The exact same kind of miracle that Jesus himself would do over and over again when Jesus was living among his disciples. This creates something of a commotion, this healing that takes place at the temple. And so the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, call Peter and John in and say, let's get to the bottom of this. What do you two think you're doing here? That's where the story picks up. So I'm in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Here's what Peter says then. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how was he healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, a profession of faith. What is it? What does that look like? You know, we, we've, 
We did a piece of that in our liturgy, in our service here earlier this morning, where we professed our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. In this passage today, there's another example of a profession of faith. Peter gives a profession of faith when he's confronted or asked about how did this man get healed? What happened here? So let's, let's look at that. Let's look at what a profession of faith is, first of all. And, and I want to be specific here about knowing and identifying what that is and what that looks like. A profession of faith is, is a basic proclamation of the gospel truth about Jesus. It is a proclamation of the gospel truth about Jesus. Sometimes, along with a profession of faith, there can also be a testimony. But I want us to distinguish the difference here this morning. And it's an important thing to distinguish. A profession of faith and a testimony are not the same thing. Those are two different things. A testimony is a personal story. A testimony is a story in which someone who in relationship with God comes forward and tells a story about how God works through their own life. How God has revealed and worked himself through their own story, their own life, their own circumstances. How they have grown in some way as a disciple of God. That's a testimony. It's personal. It's a story. It's shared that way. But a profession of faith is something that is shared by the larger group. A profession of faith is different from a testimony because it's not personal and individual to your life, your story, your circumstances. But it is a statement, a profession that we all share together. Do you see the difference? It's a statement about God and who God is and what God does that we, each one of us, embrace in our own life of faith. It's a story, then, that shares among all of us. It is a declaration of God's active love and grace, which is universal to all people in all times and in all circumstances. And so a profession of faith, then, is something that focuses on sharing faith as a reminder of the one faith that unites us all together as God's people. That we all share these things in common. A profession of faith, then, is a statement that declares God for who God is and what God does among all of us, not just here in this church, not just here in this place, but all Christians, every culture around the world who professes faith in Jesus shares those same words because we share that same faith. But wait, it doesn't stop there. Not just other churches around the world, but looking back through history, looking back through time, our ancestors, those who've gone before us, profess that same faith, that the generations which preceded us in the church, that those who came before us profess that same faith as well. We profess faith then when we declare who God is and what God does with language that is shared universally by all Christians everywhere through all of history since 
the birth of the church. That is what a profession of faith is. It is a reminder to us of the one faith that we all share together. This morning we use the Apostles' Creed for that. And often churches use the Apostles' Creed. Do you know how the Apostles' Creed is put together? If you've noticed that as we, if you, if, as we read that or recited that, the Apostles' Creed is a statement about the Trinity. It's a basic statement about who God is. Well, God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Apostles' Creed talks about all three of those things, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But more than that, the Apostles' Creed talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not just in who they are, but in what they do. So it's a statement of faith in who God is and what God does. The Apostles' Creed is not the only way we could do that. And we've had examples in our own church liturgy of doing that differently as well. Sometimes we use others of our creeds and confessions coming from things like the Heidelberg Catechism. Sometimes we use the words of Scripture as our profession of faith together. There's many sources we could go to as long as that profession of faith brings us back to declaring who God is and what God does. It helps then to anchor our identity in Christ. I had an opportunity several decades ago to take a group of high school students on a um, convention trip to Salt Lake City. So we're in Utah, in Salt Lake City, for this conference together with high school students. And in Salt Lake City, we had the opportunity there to interact with several people who are a part of the Church of Latter-day Saints, which is based out of Salt Lake City, the Mormons. And as we got to know some people who are Mormons and hear their story, some of the students that we had there started to ask some questions. You know what? These people sing hymns that sound like our hymns, and, and they have a Bible that looks like our Bible, and they talk about God the way we talk about God, and they talk about faith the way we talk about faith. So are Mormons Christians like us? They're asking the question and legitimately asking the question. But it came down to a profession of faith. Well, who do we say about who God is and what God does? And in particular, with that group of students looking at the Apostles' Creed, talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they began to discover, you know what, the, these Mormons, even though they talk about God like we do, and they sing songs and go to church like we do, and talk about faith like we do, they reject the Apostles' Creed. Because they reject the divinity of the Son, Jesus. And they reject salvation through Jesus. You see, something about professing our faith together then reminds us of what it is that anchors our identity in Christ. A reminder of who we are in Christ by reminding us of who God is and what God does. So that's why we, several times a year in this church, have this piece that we call profession of faith. But let's talk more about why we do that in church, right? Why we do that as a part of our worship service. 
A profession of faith, then, is a statement that focuses us on who God is and what God does is something we do in worship because it turns our faith in a particular direction. In particular, it turns our faith in a direction that focuses on Jesus and not on ourselves. Right? It focuses our faith on Jesus and not on ourselves. I think each one of us at some point would admit that we struggle with that sometimes. We struggle with holding a faith that at some point just seems to want to always turn on ourselves and be about me. We all struggle with making Christian faith somehow focus upon God more than on myself. And we do that in different ways. Right? We, we have times and places where maybe when we think about church and what church is and how we're involved in church and we ask questions of, well, what, what music speaks to me or what do I get out of it or where am I supposed to be a part of this? And faith becomes something about me and what I get. Or we have those moments in our lives of maybe personal devotions where we're looking for, but how is this building my life with God? How am I getting more peace and more hope and more joy out of this time with God? What's, where is this faith giving a benefit for me out of this? We all have these moments in life in which we struggle. We struggle because sometimes in our own lives, the Christian faith has become more about me and what I get out of it than it is about God and what Jesus has put into it. So it's a good reminder, a good reminder when we profess our faith together that it's a reminder that says, you know what? Faith is not about me. Faith is not about what I get. Faith does not revolve around just me and what that looks like. There's a, um, there is a prosperity gospel preacher from Louisiana. His name is Jesse Duplantis. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jesse Duplantis. Back in 2015, Jesse Duplantis urged his followers. He, he's a uh, televangelist preacher, so he's on television. He urged all of his followers on television to send him money because God told him that he needed a new jet airplane for himself, a private jet plane. And he needed $54 million to buy a jet plane for himself. Now, Jesse Duplantis already had a fleet of three other personal jets. But he needed this fourth one. And his reasoning for that, that he tried to urge his followers to give money for, was because, well, this particular jet plane was, was a luxury liner that could go further without refueling than his other ones could so that he himself could go spread the gospel further around the world without having to be burdened by things like airports and commercial flights. If you're thinking to yourself, that sounds like a faith that's all about him and not about God, you'd be right. 
You see, because of profession of faith, when we profess our faith together, it is that reminder that we have that, you know what, the, the object of our faith, the focus of our faith, the direction of our faith is not about me. But it's about God. For who God is and what God does. A regular profession of our faith together reminds us of that. Reminds us that the life of Christian faith is not primarily focused upon us, but it's focused upon God. So what do we take from that then? All right, so, so if I've set this whole thing up today as profession of faith being something that's about God and not about us, and we do it here in church together to remind us of who God is and what God does, and it's not primarily about who we are and what we get out of it, but we still take something from it. There is still a piece in which this faith is connected to us, to who we are. So what do we take from that then? What does that mean for us? What is our takeaway from a profession of faith that we all do together? Well, this regular pattern of professing our faith together, when it's a profession of faith that focuses upon God for who God is and what God does, and focuses upon that instead of focusing upon me and what I get out of it and what I do, that, that has a result of being able to open my eyes, to open my heart, to open my ears. It has a result of being able to be alert and aware of what God is doing, where God is moving. That when I take the focus and the attention off of me, off of myself, and instead focus on who God is and what God does, now I go from this place, I go back to whatever it is I do the next six days of the week. Right, Whether it's taking care of things in the home or going to work and working a job or spending time volunteering, whether it's relaxing or working, whatever it is, wherever you go from here, you go then with an awareness, an awareness of being reminded of who God is and what God does so that in the week that I go into, I can see where God is working. I can see where God is moving. I can recognize where God is at work in our world and in our community around us. Because I have spent some time together with fellow Christians reminding myself of who God is and what God does. So now I have eyes to see it. There's a story in the Old Testament. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, at that time in Israel, the priest was a man named Eli. Eli was rather old and couldn't do all things by himself. He needed help. But it came along that Samuel, who was born and was dedicated to God at the temple, stayed at the temple to help Eli. So the priest Eli, who had been the priest of Israel for many years, is working as the priest, and now he has a helper, a young boy named Samuel, who's there just to sort of be his errand boy, pretty much, to do whatever Eli tells him to do, and to go where Eli tells him to go. On one particular night, 
and we read about this in 1 Samuel 3. On one particular night, Samuel is lying in his bed, and he hears a voice call his name, Samuel. Samuel immediately thinks, it's Eli. He needs something. So he gets up, and he goes, Eli, what is it? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happens like that two more times. That Samuel hears a voice calling his name, Samuel. And he gets up and he goes to Eli. What is it? Eli says again, wasn't me. I didn't call you. By the third time, though, Eli recognizes what's happening. It's God calling out to Samuel. Now, stop the story there. This catches me. It catches me because I cannot help but wonder what is going on in Eli's head right there, right at that time. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 3 that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. I wonder, I can't help but wondering, if I were in Eli's place, if I were in Eli's shoes might there possibly be a thought in my head of, wait a minute, I'm the priest. I'm the one who's been doing all the work that God has called me to do for all of these years. And, and you go to this kid? Aren't you supposed to come to me? Aren't I the one who's been faithfully serving you all of this time? And so here's what I think then. Samuel, here's what I think you ought to do. Next time you go down, when you hear that name call, you say back, you know what? Take it up with the man. Take it up with Eli. You want to get to the people of Israel, you got to go through the priest. That's how it's supposed to go. I wonder what's going through Eli's head at that moment. But if you know the story, if you're familiar with the story, that's not how it goes. When Eli recognizes what's happening, Eli says to Samuel, you know what? Next time you hear it, you answer. You say, speak. Your servant is listening. Let God speak to you, through you. I recognize in that moment. Eli recognizes in that moment. God is at work among his people. And if the focus was on me, and what I get, I'd miss it. I wouldn't see it. It wouldn't be there. But Eli, in that moment, is able to take the focus off of himself. It's not about me. To see who God is and what God does. And tell Samuel how to respond in that moment. You see, that regular profession of faith that we do together reminds us of that. Reminds us of that so that when we see God at work in our world around us, we recognize it. We see it. We know it. We can respond to it. That God shows up in our world. And we're ready to join God in doing the work that he's a part of. We all have to admit that we sort of have this back and forth struggle with that, don't we? I, I think it's natural that we struggle with selfishness, that we struggle at times with saying, but, but at what point should it be about me and do that? There were several years when I lived in Kalamazoo where I had the opportunity to 
be a chaplain in the ER at Bronson Hospital. And when someone comes into the ER at Bronson Hospital and it's bad enough that they have to call the chaplain, then it's pretty bad. Because the chaplain's job is to reach out to the family. So it's the doctors and the medical professionals, they attend to the patient and the needs that are there. The chaplain, you attend to the family that gathers in the waiting room. That's, that's what I did for a couple of years. And every so often, we'd have a family that would come in and, and they would be a part of a church and they would call their own church pastor. And, and part of their own faith community would come in and be a support for them as well. And out of that, every so often, there would be one of these church pastors who comes in and not meaning to, I think trying to be helpful, would say the wrong thing. The wrong thing to this family. The wrong thing of, we just have to have faith and believe. And then your loved one will be all right. Will be healed, won't die will not sustain life-altering injuries. Speaking of faith in ways that don't necessarily connect with all of the ways that God acts for who he is and what he does. Because if that were true and you walk away from that, then, then if something terrible happens, what does that say about faith? And that was a conversation that I had to have in the ER several times. People who would ask the question, the real question, how does God let bad things happen? How does God allow, allow some of this to take place? Why does God let struggle continue? Now, in that time and in that circumstance, it's not that those people were actually looking for an answer. That was not the time or place to sit down and say, let's have a theological discussion about the problem of evil in our world. That's not what they were looking for. No, that's a question that expresses something. What that question expresses is this. It's an expression that says, I didn't expect God to work this way. I didn't think God was supposed to be like that. God, maybe God is not who I thought he was. That's what that question says. A question that says, God is not who I thought he was. For people who maybe live in a world where they think God is more like, I don't know, Santa Claus. If I'm good, he's just supposed to give me good things. But that's not what the Bible says about who God is and what God does. A regular profession of faith that declares who God is and what God does reminds us of that. Reminds us of those times and those places where we struggle with some of those questions. And it anchors us firmly so that we don't go down the wrong path of the wrong faith. But we can remember. The Bible never says we'll be free from struggle. But the Bible does say God will be with you in struggle because that's who God is and that's what God does. So in moments of life, moments of life where our faith may be tested, where our faith may be running into those moments of question and doubt, 
we let that habit, that regular profession of our faith together, anchor us back again, reminding us of who God is and what God does. Let me close with this. There's this other story in the Bible of someone who gives a profession of faith. The profession that that this person says is he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand on the earth. That's his profession of faith. Do you know who says that? Do you know which character in the Bible that is, where that comes from? Maybe heard that one before. It's Job. Job says that. I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand on the earth. Job! Do you know who Job is? Do you know what Job went through? Job, the guy who had everything taken from him. Job is the guy who lost his entire family. Job is the guy who had everything that he owned destroyed. Job is the guy who got sickness and disease and struggled with health. That's Job. And so when Job experiences all of these things, Job has some friends who come to him and and they try to comfort him. And one of his friends in particular, his friend Bildad, who says to him something that I will paraphrase, paraphrase and summarize as, you know what? If you had the right kind of faith, maybe this wouldn't happen. And Job is not duped by that. Job does not fall for that. Job responds to his friend Bildad and he says, no, no. That's not how God works. That's not how faith works. His profession in that moment, his reply to his friend Bildad is, but I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand on the earth. Job is able to give a profession of faith that God is his Redeemer, that God lives, and that God is with him. Even in that, it holds him secure in who he is as one of God's people. And may our profession of faith hold us secure in who we are as God's people. Not focused upon ourselves, but focused upon God so that we may see what God is doing and where God is working because we profess God for who he is and what he does. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that in your word that you do reveal yourself, and you reveal yourself for who you are and for what you do. Lord, we have to confess that we struggle. We struggle sometimes with making faith all about ourselves. We have to admit that before you. But Lord, as we confess that, We ask you to forgive us, to restore us, and remind us again as we profess that faith that we have in you, that you are our Redeemer, that you live, and that you are with us. Lord, may our faith focus upon you and you alone, because we know that all that we are in you is because of Christ alone. We thank you for that. Amen. Would you please stand?